0: sports professor Rick Haro, and we are on the record every week this podcast will take you inside the 1.3 trillion dollar business of sports the top deal making issues the top tech issues and the top social responsibility issues plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports but having a profound effect on its impact let's get started Professor Rick Horowitz on the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and you are on the record with a very turbulent, very positive, very transparent, very evolving business, law, marketing, week, month, year, you name it. The opening drive, the top four weekly stories of the week cover it, so let's get into it. Number one, the 42 College Bowl Games, College Postseason Championships, Whatever you mean, the name recognition may be blurred with all the sponsorship, but very clearly the deal is these bowls are here to stay. ESPN's gobbled up many of them. It goes from the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl to the Star Coal Brands L.A. Bowl hosted by Gronk. That's the full name of it. There are seven electronic communications corporations in titles. Cricket Celebration, AT&T hosting the National Championship, TV, the Holiday Bowl, and on and on. There are nine financial institutions, including Capital A1 Orange Bowl, the tax Act, Texas Tax Slayer Gator. This is a tax time, as we know. There are roof companies, Auto, Home, Mortgage, Gasparilla, Finances, Roofs, roofclaim.com, builds them, And then you have companies like SRS Distribution, Las Vegas Bowl, builds them too. Eight, food, Chick-fil-A, avocados from Mexico, scooters, coffee, and the like. Five, auto, five, tourism, where LA Bowl, Myrtle Beach Bowl, the communities and the states uh, attach attach their names to it. Why is this important? Well, because the season's non-CFP bowls are expected to attract about 1.3 million fans in average attendance for bowl season, with a further 200,000 from the CFP. Last year, non-CFP bowl games brought in more than 120 million television viewers for an overall average of just over 3 million per game. Both CFP semifinal games drew more than 20 million, while the national championship about 17. And next year, a bigger playoff will further test the ability of other bowls to garner fan interest. That's a challenge. But clearly, that's number one. Number two, speaking of bowls and postseason, FSU keeps losing valuable players as they search for better NIL deals. There are 10 top-flight FSU players, at least, who've entered the transfer portal. The NIL Opportunities for Rodney Hill is one example, looking for 500K in NIL opportunities to stay, even more than what starting running back Trey Benson was making. Defensive end Patrick Payton entered the portal. His NIL request was denied by the Seminoles' collective. He reportedly demanded a million. The evolving landscape of college athletics, marked by NIL rights and transfer portal dynamics, is clearly reshaping the traditional structure of college sports? That's number two. Number three, always important. Again, NIL issues in another context. Duke's Mayo Bowl was the first to offer the NIL platform where the players make the profit. West Virginia Mountaineers face off against the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill Tar Heels, at the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. This year, Fans can now support and engage with the players in new ways through NAL. Duke's Mayo Bowl and Open Doors now offering a platform to buy a shout-out, a social post, an appearance, or an autograph from a specific player. Players will receive part of the profits. Miller Yoho with the Charlotte Sports Foundation says the Duke's Mayo Bowl is the first bowl game to offer this for us at the Charlotte Sports Foundation. We always want to be supportive of the student-athlete. This is just one way they can look back. The winning team also be named the first ever Dukes Mayo Bowl ambassador. And the player will be offered a $5,000 contract to help tell the story of the bowl game during the offseason through social media posts and other opportunities. Well, it keeps on going. The genie way out of the bottle, never going back in. Number four. Nebraska, and Texas to cap a historic women's volleyball season in the finals. All college, but here's another context beyond football. They battle for the 2023 NCAA Division I Women's Volleyball Championship. National TV audience capping a breakthrough year for the sport. The semifinal matches at Amelie Arena, home of the Lightning, set an attendance record for indoor volleyball, There's nearly 20,000 fans gathered to watch the tournament's Final Four play out, Cornhuskers, Pittsburgh, Longhorns, and Wisconsin. Fox Sports backing a new two-day volleyball event on Labor Day weekend at the Five Serve Forum in Milwaukee. The showcase will also bring together Wisconsin, Texas, Stanford, and Minnesota women's college volleyball teams, and also has the support of InterSport, the company that works with the PGA Tour and Under Armour. The main Fox broadcast channel will carry two of the four matches, while the other two will be on FS1. Financial terms not disclosed, but future editions of the annual event will rotate teams and locations. Organizers told Front Office Sports there had been an interest from many top volleyball programs like Nebraska and others. Here's the bottom line We talk about college sports, football, football, football on IL. Transfer portal, football, football, more football. But by the way, the bottom line is all of these sports need to be funded and NIL will help with all of them. Hence, the volleyball championship is number four in the top items of the week, our top opening drive. Pat Williams, a Basketball Hall of Famer, currently serving as co-founder and senior vice president of the NBA Orlando Magic. He's one of America's top motivational, inspirational and humorous speakers. He's addressed many employees from Fortune 500 companies, author of many titles, most recently Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, which highlights the secrets to peak athletic performance. And since 1968, GM of teams in Chicago, Atlanta, Philly, and Orlando, including the 1983 world champion Sixers. Pat Williams, perspective like none other, here he is now. You grew up in Philly, and an insider with the Phillies, had enough information with the Phillies, and kind of started the process for uh, your knowledge of sports uh, with the Phillies, around the Phillies. Tell that story. Talk about how you got involved in that.
1: Well, Rick, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, played ball through high school, went to Wake Forest on a baseball scholarship, and caught for the Deacons for four years. In June of 1962, I had graduated and I wanted to get into baseball. Uh, Fortunately, I was a friend of the owner of the Phillies, Bob Carpenter. Uh, We met. Uh, He offered a $500 bonus to sign, $400 a month. I was absolutely ecstatic. And he said, you're going to Miami, uh, which was then a Phillies farm club. And his last words to me were, keep your eyes and ears open on and off the field. Well, I didn't fully understand, but later I found out that the scout for the Phillies in North Carolina, Wes Livengood, had turned in reports on me as a ball player, but he also said in that report, has a future in the front office. So anyway, I ended up in Miami for the 62 season, 63. Uh, The GM of the club was a fellow named Bill Durney, and he was a wonderful, wonderful mentor taught me the ropes of minor league baseball, and that led to the opportunity to go to Spartanburg, South Carolina, which was then a Phillies farm club, and I was there for four years, uh, which laid the foundation uh, for everything that's happened ever since. So Rick, my goals were all in baseball. You know, I uh, played a little bit, played enough baseball to get a feel for it, and I wanted to uh, get to a major league team and end up being a GM of a big league ball club, but something happened. Well, along the way, talk
0: about Bill Veck. I understand he was one of your mentors. What did what did Bill Peck, Peck teach you about sports, life and promotion?
1: Well, it's interesting because in that summer <coughs> of 1962, uh, there was an off day in that season and I was visiting around, went to Burdine's mm-hmm. bookstore, uh, yeah. b- b- department store. You yeah. remember Burdine's? Uh-huh. We were dating <coughs> ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. I ended yeah. up in the book department <coughs> and there on the front table, was this book called "Vec Is In Wreck," and this picture of Bill Vec on the front cover? I bought it. <clears throat> it was pre-signed by him. Amazingly, three dollars and ninety-five cents, four hundred-page book. That would cost you thirty-five bucks today. But I bought it and was absolutely absorbed as Bill Vec shared his story. And he made reference numbers of times to Bill Durney. Uh, in St. Louis, who was the GM of this team I was with with Miami. So when the season ended, I asked Bill Durney if he could help me uh, reach and get to see Bill Veck in his home in Eastern Maryland. I lived in Wilmington, Delaware, not that far away, and that all came about, and I went to see Bill Veck, cold turkey, and uh, hoped just to shake hands, and about six hours later, I left, and my life had been really transformed by this remarkable man Uh, i stayed in touch with him he was a mentor Uh, he was a friend he was a ally you know for 25 years and uh what did i learn oh many things i wrote a book a few years ago rick called marketing your dreams Uh, life lessons i learned from bill Vec." one of them was read 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 bill veck was a voracious reader secondly uh it's it's good to have fun at the old ballpark you can't beat fun uh don't sell the games on the one and loss column too risky but you can guarantee fun Uh, i also learned uh, from him and the importance of public speaking Uh, that's really the main way that bill sold his teams out in front of people well and words to live by today very clearly
0: so and 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 it's it's all as relevant in all sports. So you're making a transition, and you made it successfully. Obviously, reflect back on '83. You're with the Sixers. They win the NBA championship. And so, talk a little bit about that process, and and how you put that group together. Tell that story.
1: Well, that was a, a an interesting process because we uh, little by little, I, I came to the Sixers and the. Uh, in the heels of that nine and 73 disaster, uh, which will always be remembered. And uh, we had to really build from scratch. Uh, we started uh, drafting Daryl Dawkins out of high school, drafted Lloyd Free, uh, lured George McGinnis over from the other league, lured Caldwell Jones over from the other league. Uh, we then made that huge deal, $6 million deal to acquire Julius Irving. six um, million. We then had two important draft picks that worked, Maurice Cheeks and Andrew Toney. That gave us our guard line. We traded George McGinnis to Denver for Bobby Jones, uh, which gave us that wonderful multi-piece player. And then uh, the enormous acquisition of Moses Malone, a $13 million deal, which at that time uh, was absolutely unprecedented. So suddenly, We had our franchise, Moses in the middle, Bobby Jones up front uh, coming off the bench with Julius, Cheeks and Tony the guard line, and we had a team that could play with everybody, and they did. Had a marvelous season, and then uh, met the Lakers who had kept knocking us out of the playoffs every year, it seemed, and we finally got our revenge and swept them, and uh, we had our title. An incredible
0: title that people in Philadelphia will never forget. So four years later, the magic is awarded in a, for a building just a few feet, from, yards from here. But it's the end of a story, beginning of another one. But that doesn't happen overnight. So tell a little bit about the story of bringing the magic to Orlando.
1: Well, I'd been in uh, Philly as the GM for 12 years, but I was getting restless. Uh, I needed a new challenge, the ultimate challenge in pro sports, I think, Rick, is to start a team up from scratch, an expansion team. I had met some business leaders here in Orlando, and they kept pursuing me to come on down here and head this up, and finally I had to make a decision, leave my home area, leave the Sixers, leave a young Charles Barkley, etc., and come down here cold turkey and see if we could rally this community and then sell the NBA, A, on expanding, and B, putting a franchise here in Central Florida in 1986-87. Yeah. And, Rick, uh, this community wasn't much to look no. at then. Yeah. It was still quite a small southern town. Anyway, I took the risk, uh, spent, I don't know, the better part of six months uh, speaking and yelling and screaming and jumping up and down in the community, and then... Uh, keeping the NBA posted. Anyway, long story short, in April of 1987, uh, the league was looking at four cities that were trying to knock their way in. Miami, Orlando, Charlotte, and Minneapolis. And uh, nobody really got a real sense on this, and finally the league said, why don't we take all four of them? Now the price to get in was 32.5 million time out repeat that again 32.5 32.5 right. which value we, today well listen teams yeah. are selling now for 2 billion yeah. anyway Rick at 32.5 we really felt uh, they had taken advantage of us initially the talk was eh, it's going to be maybe around 25 million but 32.5 we, 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 we were gagged but finally each city came up with it, and, uh, and they took all four of us. Yep. Miami and Charlotte were to start in the fall of 88, Orlando and Minnesota the fall of 89. Back
0: in that era, and a big deal for you, and truth be told, it was interesting because I was part of that group that dealt with the heat, and you were the reason why people should take Orlando seriously. Nobody knew the Hewitt family. Minnesota has its own, and Charlotte had its own assets as well. And South Florida, clearly sun and fun and sports and transplanted New Yorkers and all, but don't
1: underestimate Orlando because it has Pat Williams. Uh. <laughs> well, Rick, we, uh, we worked hard and we got this community fired up. I think one of the things that w- was, was huge for us were the deposits, yeah. $100 deposits on 14,000 season tickets. Uh, that was unheard of but our community really stepped up and did that. Uh, I think that was a huge eye opener to the league that something was pretty uh, rabid here. And as it turns out, it was. You know, those early years with our franchise where we were playing to sell out crowds and, you know, hysterical fans, and it was really a beautiful story.
0: So this was the time, and and you of course were around, your best general manager move was getting the lottery pick and drafting Shaq, right? Right. So So were you...
1: Was that the, the heated ping-pong ball you got uh, to do, or the heated envelope? Which was, well, How did that all work? Well, Rick, actually, for two straight years, 92 and 93, uh, the lottery then was understandable. Today it's not. No, it's not. But it was really a matter of ping-pong balls. Uh, there were 66 of them in the machine. Uh, based on your, your, the worst record, you had the most balls. 1992, darn if our ball doesn't pop up. And we won it and everybody was absolutely ecstatic for us including the commissioner yeah. great break for this expansion team there was Shaq the next year we missed the playoffs by the fifth tiebreaker and ended up in the lottery we had one out of 66 ping pong balls in that machine and amazingly enough guess what happened our ball popped up again A brilliant general manager move, by the way. Brilliant. brilliant. Let me tell you this, Rick. Nobody was happy for us that year, including the commissioner. Right. I mean, David Stern, that was not the way it was designed. Anyway, that led to all the wheeling and dealing on draft night, and that's how Penny Hardaway got here. So we had this wonderful young nucleus of Shaq and Penny, both 20 years old. Uh, We had Dennis Scott here already. We had Nick Anderson. Uh, we had a nice young team and we had a a great run and then in 1996 it all unraveled Shaq as a free agent went to LA Penny uh, had both knees go out on him over a period of time and suddenly we were uh, scrambling all over again
0: yeah well but that's but you know you recover and that's part of your life night 83 Sixers today. Biggest difference between the
1: NBA then and now? Oh, Rick, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is the internationalization of the game. Uh, the NBA is, is being watched in every nation on Earth. Uh, people are watching games in China and in India, and in Japan, everywhere. Uh, secondly, the players that are coming from all these nations. Uh, this year, for example, uh, there are 100 players from other countries. I think 41 countries are represented with players on rosters in the league this year. That's astounding. And I guess the third thing, Rick, is uh, just the enormous value of these franchises. They tell me that every franchise in the league is worth a billion dollars. And when you see teams sold for two billion, and uh, you think about what are the Lakers worth? What are the Knicks worth, for example? It would be really good if if
0: either of those teams were any good.
1: Oh, I'll (laughs) think about that for a minute. So uh, uh, we've got a league, we've got a sport that has really found its stride and has become a worldwide endeavor. And uh, I guess the best way to put it in simple terms, the NBA now is a big deal big deal, but
0: it's also a bigger deal as a platform for doing great by doing good and philanthropy, which of course is very important to you. So first, talk a little bit about some of the MAGIC community initiatives.
1: Well, the Orlando MAGIC Youth Foundation, Rick, was founded right at the very beginning of our existence, and we wanted to be good citizens. We wanted to have an impact in the community, particularly with young people. And so uh, through different fundraisers, uh, a, a gala event, yeah. golf tournaments, etc. Uh, we've been we have raised a lot of money, given away close to twenty million dollars over a period of about fifteen to sixteen years. All of it to youth-oriented organizations in Central Florida. Uh, it, it's a pretty tight uh, regimen, you don't know what right. we do. But we've we've given that money, continue to do that, continue to raise those kind of funds. Yes, we want to be good citizens. But I think it's true, Rick, of all the teams in their communities. I'm really impressed with how NBA franchises have really made an effort uh, to be more than just good citizens, but you know, con- consistent in their, their work and their outreach uh, to make a difference in the lives of people that need help.
0: Yes, but it starts at the top with the co-founder and your commitment to excellence via philanthropy. Personally, 19 kids, uh, 14 adopted from different countries. Um, what have you learned from them, other than <laughs> you don't have enough time in life to do all this, but, and, and how, does it, how does it make you a better person?
1: Well, that's a great question, Rick. We, uh, fortunately, the kids are all grown now. Uh, the youngest is 32, uh, the oldest is 46, and uh, they're all out of the house, all out on their own. Uh, we have 18 grandchildren Uh, which is another interesting step for us. Uh, What have I learned about parenting? Uh, Many things, but uh, you've got to have an equal balance of love and discipline. I have learned that. Secondly, your children need your time. Uh, You've got to organize your schedule. And above anything I remember is this, Rick, uh, every morning at breakfast. Dad, are you going to be at our swimming meet today? Dad, are you going to be at our game tonight? Dad, are you going to be at my cheerleading? Uh, that was the most important thing to them, that I'd be there watching them in their events. I still remember that to this day, and they do too. Uh, what else can I tell you? Take them to church, get them involved in Sunday school. And every Sunday, we loaded them up into that 18-passenger van and hiked them off to church. Uh, and One other thing quickly, Rick, is, yeah. is encourage them to be readers. You know read to your children and uh, get them excited about books good books and uh, let them see that you are reading I don't think there's any really substitute for a young person who loves to read
0: obviously words to live by Um, the other side of Pat Williams there are many sides and we don't have enough time to cover all the sides but they're all good sides Uh, 50 plus marathons uh, Mount Rainier uh, other mountain climbing um, What's the impact on your life of those endeavors? And again, how, how, does that, how does that make you a more well-rounded person
1: as well? Well, Rick, I've always wanted to challenge myself. And I did run a half marathon here. Oh, I think I was in my mid-50s. And I finished it and I thought, boy, it's a pretty big deal. I didn't think I could do that. And right after that, I signed up and said, I wonder if I could do a full marathon. I signed up for the Disney marathon. And, uh, and did it, and finished. I was in tears when I crossed the finish line. Uh, that was the hardest thing I'd ever taken on, and so I kept doing it, and, and ended up running 58 of them, including the Boston Marathon 13 times, just to prove to myself that I could do something hard. Yeah, well, and you, know, uh, but you ha- and you haven't done anything in your life, so I'm trying to figure out why, uh, <laughs> why but those how you days end up doing are, that. Those days are over. I, I ran my 58th, Rick, and the next week I was diagnosed with cancer. So that, that pretty much put an end to that for yeah, me.
0: Well, but, but not, not the spirit. So I guess the final issue I want to pursue is you have such an incredibly well-rounded career and have been a mentor to so many people, including me. The power of sports generally, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What do you think is the most pervasive and important element of the power of sports and why sports has such an obvious impact in being able to change people's lives?
1: Well, Rick, all I can tell you is this. We live in a sports-crazy nation. Uh, Everything seems to uh, revolve around high school or college or pro sports. Um, And I think it's important to remember that the athlete, the coach, uh, the executive, the broadcaster, has an enormous platform of influence in our country. And, th- and we all need to take that very seriously, that the words we speak, our actions, the way we conduct our lives, is impacting millions of people. Uh, that's the power of athletics. And so I think it's important for athletes and coaches to, to be careful about how th- what they say, how they say it, I know we live in a very competitive business, but by the same token, there are millions of eyes watching us. And it's therefore important to be good role models. I think that's more than anything what I've taken from sports in my career in sports.
0: You're a good friend and it's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Hey, Rick,
1: so good to see you. Thanks for coming up. Thank you. Now the grab bag section,
0: top tech, gambling and philanthropic issues of the week. We're going to add one at the end of the year. Sport Pro Media had a tremendous article about sports sponsorship and marketing in 2023 heading to 2024. What I'd like to do is to summarize it and give you some perspective about where we are and where we're going. They make a number of points. Number 1, sport is still managing a crypto hangover and one of the big questions heading into 2023 was whether a category would emerge to fill the void left by the cryptocurrency sector. It slowed its investment after FTX collapsed. And the bottom line has been that the sponsors have been kind of filled in by Saudi companies, one of the most prolific sports spenders on sports sponsorship, in 2023. Number two, the gap between the haves and the have-nots continues to widen. The NBA and its teams, for example, saw partnership income increase only 1.3% during the season. Many assets, Adidas, Man Mania, Emirates, Arsenal, slimming down their investments. The bottom line is you have to work harder for these sponsorships and they continue to deliver, but they seem to be plateauing. Number three, the word D takes on greater significance. Ever been overcome with a wave of nausea when reading a team's press release because of the one billion global followers? Because brands have been more diligent, those inflated numbers mean nothing to prospective sponsors unless rights holders can demonstrate what they now know about their audience. So D means details and targeting. Number four, sports becomes the prime real estate for creator-owned brands. Influencer marketing. YouTubers Logan Paul... KSI, Mr. Beast's Feastable snack brand, UFC, Charlotte Hornets, L.A. Dodgers. They're all bringing it with creativity beyond what anybody's thinking of. Number five, Gen Z bringing brands into women's sports. The 2023 brands continued to spend on women's sports and amid a greater appreciation that doing so will deliver a return on their investment. More active than their male counterparts on platforms like TikTok and Instagram. That's why they're spending big money. Female athletes like Olivia Dunn building huge followings on social media, bringing big opportunities for brands. Six, regional partnerships help drive new revenue. Program inventory tied up for the foreseeable future. Many tier one teams and leagues have sought to take advantage of advancements in advertising technology including deals with with NFL teams and others in ways you couldn't even begin to think about before 7 sports marketing becomes more immersive if 2022 was the year that rights holders and their partners felt overwhelmed with information about web 3 then 2023 was when they cut through the noise and provided fans with immersive experiences. The On Tennis Club's Race to Wimbledon activation on Fortnite, alongside American Express, is a great example. Number eight, it's tough being a challenger brand. Uh, For example, the period leading up to the pandemic, there were a cohort of challenger brands making a splashy entrance into sports. But the past 12 months... Have seen online car retailer Kazoo make more job cuts and massively scale down its investment portfolio, and other companies are following suit. You got to be creative, it's survival of the fittest. Number nine, community comes first. Sports properties and their partners have spent a lot of time talking about purpose in recent times, but in 2023, the year in which we saw the cost of virtually everything rise. They really had to put it into practice. The bottom line is philanthropy, community, gives you the ability to spend money, and that's what they're doing. And number 10, rights holders are adapting a new creative mindset. Crystal Palace, for example, made headlines in August when they became the first Premier League club to appoint a creative director to devise new retail products that can help grow their brand outside of South London and more and more of these Entities are developing new creative approaches to try to drive business elsewhere. And those are 10 issues we follow now, we follow later. Bottom line is, it was too good to pass up. It affects everything and everybody. So that's part of the grab bag. Let's get back to our top tech issues this week. There are at least three. Number one. You could see where a lot of these issues are going as far as the tech is concerned, especially with Verizon. The Panthers and they introduced facial authentication at America at Bank of America Stadium. They announced the completed installation of two express entry facial authentication lanes at B of A. The lanes accessible at the North and South Silver Club entrances combine Wickets facial authentication strategy. Verizon's 5G network and mobile ticketing to combine Wicket's entry process for fans who opt in and register by submitting a photo of themselves. Upon arrival at the stadium, those who have registered can enter the stadium by scanning their face at a designated kiosk without presenting a digital or paper ticket. North and South Silver Club season ticket holders eligible for express entry Activation is part of the Verizon Business Connected Value Initiative. They announced 2 cashierless concession locations at Lincoln Financial, partnership with AI, FI, more to come. Second, the future of sports tech education and the need for recreational sports in, in all places, India. From tennis rackets to swimwear to advanced prosthetics, new materials and breakthroughs, have allowed athletes to achieve seemingly impossible feats. The competitive nature of sports has driven technology forward at a rapid rate. The connectivity includes integrating technology and grassroots sports education, digitizing the spectator experience, data analytics for performance optimization, ease of access technology. All of this important But when you take a look at a lot of these issues, they're the exact same issues as impact the U.S., which means the global trends are significant, at least on the tech side. And then finally with tech, MLB still seeking the right approach for their robot ump system. In recent years, the world of baseball has witnessed technological innovations that rival historical advancements like the printing press and steam engine. One notable development is the Hawkeye ball tracking technology, which has significantly improved the precision of tracking pitches. However, the introduction of the automated ball strike system, ABS, commonly known as the robot ump, faces challenges in terms of implementation. MLB's Chief Operations and Strategy Officer, Chris Marinak, emphasizes the need to carefully manage the impact of such technology on the game, addressing questions about whether ABS should be used at all and defining parameters like the strike zone. While the league is exploring improvements in AAA, such as personalized strike zones based on individual stances, the broader use of tracking cameras extends way beyond pitch calls. It includes delving into fielding metrics and upcoming Cs. Innovations like Hawkeye providing value data for players and teams. Maranac highlights a focus on bat tracking, swing tracking, and the exploration of glove and hand tracking as new frontiers. This technology has predominantly favored pitchers, but recent advances aim to provide hitters and defenses with more insightful data. MLB's commitment to Hawkeye remains strong with continuous updates and improvements. The annual Baseball Operations Tech Expo serves as a hub for technology innovation and tech certainly carrying the day. We have one gambling issue we ought to cover this time, this week, and it's certainly really important today as far as where the business continues to go. And obviously, when you think about it, Fanatics and North Carolina – has become a perfect match. The sports betting landscape taking shape. Sportsbooks secure licenses through partnerships with major sports entities. The Hornets secure lucrative sponsor access with Bet365, Quail Hollow, ESPN Bet, PGA Tour, FanDuel, Fanatics, Carolina Hurricanes. The specific sponsorship deal did not disclose, but DraftKings enters through NASCAR, BetMGM, and Betway Speedway Motorsports. Licensees tied to the Panthers, Charlotte FC, NC Courage, Sedgefield Country Club remain undisclosed, with speculation on potential sportsbooks such as BetRivers, Hard Rock, and Tipico securing those deals. The Panthers, reportedly seeking a higher market access fee and expressing a desire for a retail sportsbook at their stadium, face uncertainties in the competitive market without tying sponsorship and market access. While some argue the Panthers should generate more revenue through individual sponsors, the absence of a long-term deal might pose challenges in a dynamic sports betting landscape. And by the way, Panthers got to get better, but I think probably the betting issues transcend whether they get better or not. Finally, spend a couple of minutes talking about good sports and we have a lot of issues there this week. First of all, the bottom line of the numbers behind Jim Valvano, lasting legacy. His iconic ESPNY speech, ESPY speech in 93, where he announced the launch of the Jimmy V. Foundation for Cancer Research, continues to have a lasting impact three decades later. The V. Foundation raised a total of $310 million through nearly 1,200 research grants, contributing to various areas of cancer research, $66 million for pediatric, 60 for blood cancers, 30.9 for breast cancer in 2020 long, 2022 alone. foundation raised $27 million with specific designations for pediatric cancer and the Stuart Scott Memorial Cancer Research Fund. Good for them and good for this foundation. Flag football growing in popularity in Colorado, becoming a possible route to higher education. 22 metro area schools participated, 50 high schools this season. The Broncos, playing a significant role in supporting girls' flag football, will continue to do so. They've hosted competitions, including state championships, at their facility, the Centura Health. Opening girls flag football sanctioned sport beginning at a more official level in April, and it continues to generate significant support. And then finally, the bottom line is suicide prevention, football issues, $20 to $20 Patty Turner initiative raising significant dollars for suicide prevention. We will cover that more in future grab bags. But that's one of those issues that Tony Dungy and others have been incredibly passionate about. Now, as we normally do, we'll look at the three to watch. What's coming up that everybody needs to pay special attention to for next week and beyond? Well, number one, Michelle Kang adds to her multi-club women's soccer portfolio. She's bought the French soccer club Olympic Lyonnais uh completed a deal to purchase the London City Lionesses, a second division club valued at $50 million. What she's attempting to do is try to amalgamate and combine and coordinate many of the top flight women's soccer clubs ahead of the Women's World Cup and ahead of all of the huge sports sponsorship deals that are being created. Good for her. Watch this in the coming weeks and months. Number two. Washington State and Oregon State, they win a legal victory. The Washington Supreme Court denied a request by the 10 outgoing schools to review a lower court preliminary injunction that has established both of those schools as the only members of the PAC-12 board. The $5 million distribution per school would have given money to the leaving 10. That's stopped. And those two schools can dictate policy In the future including reaching out concluding deals with mountain west building the brand and moving forward good for them let's see how they move it in the future and then finally number three here's the big one college football considering the bowl like rotation for its national championship game but also the tv rights are about to expire for the playoff 470 million dollars a year through 2025 with espn as part of the $6 billion rights fee with the CFP. The bottom line is, let's be careful about what we get in the future. ESPN may be on the way out of exclusivity, and the college football organizations may rotate this to the benefit of everybody and more revenues for them. And that's the three to watch. We'd like to thank Pat Williams for putting this together. We'd like to thank you all for being part of this. Sports Professor Rick speak with you soon.